0: Good evening, and this is the Brew Theology Podcast, and I'm here with a whole bunch of my friends, Woo-hoo. and we're going to talk about justice tonight, and so we're just going to do our normal quick intros for you, but first, I want to remind you of May the 4th. Here in Denver, we're hosting altruist You'll have six world religions talking about how we do justice in the world around us, and so we would love to have you join us at this event. You can find it... Um, online at Brutheology.org and buy tickets there. Uh, We'll have amazing beer by Seedstock Brewery that they're providing for us. We're so thankful for that. And uh, we have some amazing faith leaders that are going to share with you. So please join us for Ale Truist on May the 4th. Um, Ryan and I are heading to New Story Festival, and we'll be done by the time you hear this. But make sure to listen up. I bet we'll have some interviews on the street for you coming up in a further episode. So before we get going tonight, well, we're just going to do our normal intros. It's Janelle, Katie, Jeff, Rick, and Christina are here with me. Um, And so we're going to just share a little bit about our own stories before we get started. And then talk about all the kinds of justice. All the justice. So that'll work. So I'm Janelle. Uh, You know that I come from the Church of the Nazarene. I've been um, out for about seven years. And in that time, I really have come to be comfortable with the label of progressive Christian. Um, And I also do a lot of interfaith work. I feel like it's really critical if we're going to change the world to work together to do that, because that's the only way it's going to happen. Um, and the question I'm asking everybody tonight is, what do you like about spring? And for me, it's flowers. So if you follow me on Instagram, at J-L-A-R-A-M-S-E-Y, you will see a lot of flowers in the coming months. So, lilacs for the win.
1: Hey, it's Katie. I grew up in a very rural town and very um, kind of small town, conservative, Protestant Christianity. Um I have since, I I actually stuck with that for almost my um, entire upbringing and uh, throughout college and grad school and have just recently over the past couple of years begun kind of deconstructing some of that and I am becoming. (laughs) Um, So... I love hiking, and there's still a lot of snow up in the high altitudes right now, but I'm really excited about being able to go rock climbing outside real soon, um, and looking forward to some spring hikes.
2: Um, I'm Jeff. I grew up in a uh, conservative, uh, evangelical, Christian household, um, and um, roundabout high school started uh, questioning some of those things, primarily questioning the uh, tribalism within Christianity um, between denominations and um, different uh, faiths. Um, I stopped using the word Christian for a certain amount of time. I've sort of come back to that, like Janelle, uh, definitely kind of re, um, re- uh, claimed the idea of progressive Christianity um, in the right circles with the, when the, when the idea of Christian is is best understood. Um, and I would say I dabble a little bit in uh, uh, universalist thought as well. Um, my favorite part of spring is really just um, the warmer weather, the uh, temperatures getting warmer.
3: This is Rick. I was born and raised Missouri Synod Lutheran. I started questioning right around confirmation, which is about eighth grade, for those of you not familiar with it. Uh, Really, for me, it was the inconsistencies. uh, We're Christian one day a week, that kind of thing that started pushing me away. As I progressed, went through school. I dabbled in all sorts of different things, ranging from Buddhism to Mormonism. For the most part, I ag- agree with or relate to the Eastern religions a little better than Western traditions. But nowadays, I worship the God of reason and logic. I count myself as an agnostic. I don't have proof one way or the other. If someone showed me or I saw, hey, that's great, but hasn't happened yet. I certainly don't deny the existence of anything, and I don't deny spirituality or what it does for us. Uh, My favorite thing coming up here in the spring is... I'm looking forward to our last Colorado blizzard because it's going to be the last.
4: Hi, I'm Christina. So I grew up um, in an independent, fundamental Baptist household in Florida. Uh, My grandfather uh, was a preacher down there in Florida. Um, That continued on into my schooling years where I went to a Baptist school associated with the Baptist Church. Now I'm consider I consider myself a non-denominational slash monotheist pluralist. So people like look at me like, what? Um, the best way I describe it is people see different sides of you, whether it's your coworkers, your significant others, your pets, your family, the people you pass driving down the street so since god reveals himself differently and we all kind of had the basic ground rules you know why can't god buddha whoever be one god and he just reveals himself differently so you know the buddhist will see the buddha the christians will see god the muslims will see uh muhammad and allah And so that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. Um, my thing about spring is I'm kind of like with Rick and Jeff. Um, I hate snow because I'm originally from Florida, so I'm ready for the warmer weather. I am ready for it to not be snow. I'm ready to pull out the shorts and get my tan on.
0: Um. So, tonight we're talking about justice, and um, Jeff was great and wrote this for us. So, we're going to share with you tonight just a little bit of the curriculum so that you have an idea of what we're working off of. And to start with, we have judicial justice. The justice statue that resides above the Supreme Court is shown holding scales, wearing a blindfold, and holding a sword. The scales represent measuring the strengths and weaknesses of a case. The blindfold symbolizes impartiality and the sword represents the authority to deliver a just decision. Judicial justice is, of course, about the authority to enforce our laws. In that way, judicial justice is very practical and focuses solely on how to interpret and enforce the laws passed down from a governing body. But is it just to enforce laws relating to discrimination or oppression?
1: The second type of justice, which discussed is economic justice. Economic justice is also known as distributive justice. This type of justice deals not with preset laws, but with societal notions of fairness about how resources are distributed. When a society is set up in which a small fraction of the populace receives an overabundance of resources, many in that society believe this to be a vast economic injustice. Conversely, if a society is set up in which the resources are spread perfectly evenly amongst the population, many would call this economic injustice as there is little economic incentive.
2: A third form of justice is social justice. Social justice is another form of distributive justice that looks beyond the resources of a society. When examining social justice, attributes such as power, respect, and opportunity come into play. Social justice determines how power, respect, opportunity, and privilege are meted out in a society. Does one class or subgroup of a society have more opportunity for advancement in that society? Certainly wealth, but also social societal attributes and beliefs about the status, rights, or values of subgroups play a major role in determining how much social justice is afforded to that group.
3: Closely aligned with the social justice is restorative justice. Restorative justice deals with the aftermath of harm done. When harm or perceived harm has been done, restorative justice looks at how we attempt to repair that harm done. While the first part of social justice looks at how the harm was done and perhaps the causes of the harm that was done, restorative justice looks at how to attempt to repair it. Typically, the form of restorative justice attempts to be closely aligned with the form of harm. Examples include returning stolen money or creating opportunities when these have been systematically taken away. Programs such as affirmative action or money given to those wrongfully convicted of a crime or other social programs have been attempted as examples of restorative justice for marginalized groups.
4: The last one is retributive justice. Retributive justice is also known as punitive justice, focuses primarily on punishment for the harm done. The intent of retributive justice may be discouraged harm via penalty or incapacity. The form of fair and proportional retributive justice is often arbitrary. Critics of reputative justice claim that this is merely revenge in disguise, motivated far more by the victim's emotional sense of loss. Proponents of retributive justice will often make the distinction that retributive justice, like all justices, is impartial and has a scale of appropriateness. Um, even if that scale itself is arbitrary whereas revenge is deeply personal and can have an unlimited scale of response
0: so those are five forms of justice clearly this isn't going to cover everything that's out there but it'll give us um, a good framework for the discussion so um, before we get into those specifics uh, the first question that we have here is how would you define justice and where does your sense of fairness come from And so we're going to kind of talk about that from a personal standpoint of like in our own traditions and our own family experiences, social experiences. How would we define that and where does your sense of fairness come from?
1: I can start with just some general thoughts. Um, I would say that I very much received my opinion and my perception of what fairness is. From my upbringing um, within the church, uh, within a family that valued hard work and um, consistency and faithfulness to, to religion and to family, I, my sense of justice has shifted from what I was initially given, because I felt that a lot of the views that I was given growing up um, excluded certain groups of people, um, marginalized groups of people unnecessarily, um, and it didn't, it was a very strange sense of um, injustice from the people who showed me what justice is. Uh, And so I think maybe to some extent we all experience a sense of that. What are everybody else's thoughts?
3: This was kind of a weird question for me because I never really thought about where my sense of justice came from. Obviously, it came from my upbringing, and even today, as I think through it, most of my sense of justice came from probably my Lutheran upbringing. Along the way, there's been a lot of the, um, there's been a lot of those things that have happened that have contributed to, okay, this is just, or this is unjust. And I have to agree with Katie on, uh, people showing injustice, bringing light to what justice actually is. So that's definitely played a big part, but Even as an agnostic who does not really consider any religion or subscribe to anyone's preordained beliefs and ideals and value systems, I find that a lot of my sense of justice is influenced by, for lack of a better word, religious ideals Mm -hmm. that were instilled in me from birth.
0: Yeah, I think for a lot of us that come out of any tradition like that, those become can become foundational ideas even as we grow up and critique them and point out their flaws and point out their limits, like those ideas of justice are still there. And also what's interesting too is depending on our personality types, some of us are much more justice inclined like by default than others and so that shapes the whole way that we view justice as well. Um, So for example um, I I know we talk a lot about the Enneagram but uh, I was typed for Myers-Briggs when I was quite young and so I have that J in there and so I often want to see the world in black and white and my religious upbringing fed a lot of that and so there were a lot of like this is right and this is wrong. And the problem is as you grow up and start to get outside of that bubble and start to see the world as a much more complex organism, that those spaces for absolute right and absolute wrong start to look a lot like the Ten Commandments, and that maybe that's about all we can say, um, because there's so much color in between black and white. And so that's mm. been preach. Like, <laughs> that's been my, as I've, like, in a very um, a very personal way, had to come to terms with justice isn't going to look the way that I always think it should look. And so learning to live with that and learning to just make space for the colors that are around.
2: When I was growing up, um, a lot of my sense of justice and fairness also came from, you know, what I was taught by my family, what I was taught by my church. Um, and, um, part of that, you know, exploring starting in high school, but moving into college was, um, I got my first degree in philosophy and started learning about some of these, um, ideas. Um, even these ideas that I was taught within the church that, um, this, you know, the kind of, Anyone who knows philosophy uh, is pretty familiar with the idea of the divine command uh, theory, and that being that you know God just um, said, "This is black, this is white," and you know, and that's the way that's the way it goes. Um, I found some problems with that, of course, because it was either very arbitrary or God was appealing to something you know even deeper, um, and so I had to sort of rethink some of that and. Uh, started thinking a little bit deeper about where my sense of fairness and justice came from. And I think that um, I think that I came to a point where I where I decided that I think um, I think a lot of our sense of fairness and justice is based in in our capacity for empathy, um, and um, seeing how another is treated and being able to put ourselves in that person's shoes um, and saying, if I was that person, would I want to be treated that way, or would i you know um and um and so uh, there's some philosophical ideas about like social contract theory that that come into that, but i think um I think primarily empathy uh plays a major role
3: thinking about what Janelle just said about uh the myers brig with the the j the judgment part i can't even recall whether I've ever been typed or not, but I know for a fact that I do not have that J. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm the exact opposite. So that makes me think, especially with the empathy part, like my my whole view on it is not this is black, this is white, and it never really has been. It makes me wonder how can one dole out justice just looking at the one side, what happened on the other side and where is that empathy for that side?
0: Yeah. Life is complicated. <laughs> there, there's always two perspectives at a minimum. Um, and so that gets really messy because someone can feel very victimized And the person that they feel hurt them may have no awareness of what they were doing. Which doesn't make it less of a problem, but it definitely makes it harder to deal with when you have to explain to someone why that was not a good thing you did and why this person feels that way. And for the majority of people, they can come to a place where they can understand that. And for those that can't, they often fall into... Categories of personality disorder or have been have had a lot of trauma in their life. Um, So it's it's really and well, and if you add those aspects into that, that becomes even harder. Like, can they know? Can they have that perspective anymore? It's really complicated. (laughs) All right. So what we'd like to do um, to kind of help you, the listener, um, is something that we kind of saw Thursday night in our first conversation about this, which could be different tonight, could be different next week, um, is we're going to try to focus um, at first, we're going to talk kind of about cosmic justice. Um, So the ultimate rights and wrongs and God and those kinds of things. And then we're going to break it down and bring it a little closer into like the global scale. And then we'll bring it down into a more local scale. And then we'll talk about kind of justice on an individual level. So I this is my idea so you can totally if you send hate mail send it to me because it was my idea. Don't but, send hate mail. <laughs> please don't. But but the point it but it's uh we we I totally know that like this is all intertwined. This is an artificial separation that we're trying to set up, but as you're listening to the the conversation if we try to do all of it at once, my experience of it is, is it got a little muddled. And so we're just going to try to Try to hone it in a little bit, and it may or may not work, and so feel free to ask us more questions online and and let us know what you think about the discussion. Um, So as we get started, when we talk about justice, what does that mean at like a cosmic level? Um, So good versus evil, planned or free will, God, no God. Um, is Earth just a player in a cosmic play? Is there a special purpose that we're here? How does that? What, how do those kind of topics resonate with you?
3: God or no God? That's uh, that's a big yikes. question. <laughs> well, how does that relate
0: to justice? Like, do we need God to know what is just, or has God seen it all and determined it all, and so there is no justice?
3: Well, I was taught from a young age that God has determined it all, okay and this is right, this is wrong, there is no gray in between basically Ten Commandments, black, white, everything right is determined for you, and ironically uh, like coming from the Church of the Nazarene, you're way more hardcore than I ever was. But my upbringing was very black and white. It was very cut and dried. As far as that goes, though, my current thought is, why, why is this determined for me? Why is this something that's just handed down to me? What happened to to free will? What happened to thought? What happened to evaluation of what I'm doing, what the next person is doing?
2: Yeah. So on that cosmic level, uh, I'm reminded of um, C.S. Lewis, who I read a long time ago, um, made some statements about, um, in his attempt to prove the existence of God, made some statements kind of on a, Um, on a little bit of a deeper level, where he said um, the United States and China may disagree on what is right and what is wrong, but neither, but there's no culture in the world that we can find that values unfairness over fairness. Um, And so his question for his readers um, and his question which sort of implied the existence of God, um, was that, um, was that there's this universal appeal to fairness. There's not, like I said, no culture, no person would say, no, I value unfairness far greater than fairness. Um, and, um, I I think there's some problems with using that to prove the existence of God, but I think it's an interesting question nonetheless. Why we have the why we all sort of have this universal idea of we want fairness.
4: I don't know. I, I'm just now thinking, especially with how today works, I can actually kind of start seeing how people favor the. The unfairness, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, we now live in a society with he who dies with the most toys wins and and everything is, you know, I need to expand my wealth. And, you know, I'm kind of reminded of like the, the college thing that's going on in Hollywood where people are just bribing to get their kids into these colleges, you know, just because they can. And, and it's just... We're we're becoming a society that doesn't look out for the smaller person. And I think that's sad.
3: Yeah. I would agree with you except on the fact or the except on the point that we are becoming that society. I would argue that even throughout history, as we in various cultures have determined or asserted we value fairness. We value fair or we value fairness for everyone but me. And we see it, like you said, Christina, in our society in black and white. I mean, we see it in spades here. But step back to uh, communist countries uh, 40 years ago. We value absolute fairness across the board, except for me up at the top. Mm-hmm. And we've seen very similar things across history, almost every single culture. We, we were talking last week about, actually it might have been a couple of weeks ago, anyway, about um, the Buddhist and one person made this comment. Oh, the Buddhists are totally they're they're equal across the board and they they understand this. And Diana was sitting there looking at him cross-eyed like, nope. <laughs> nope, doesn't happen in reality. Yeah. There is always someone at the top preaching fairness for all except for them.
2: But I would venture to say that that person does not publicly or privately say that no i value unfair i my reason for doing this is because i want society to be unfair they have rationalized or otherwise reasoned in their mind why it is fair for them to be at the top and there to be fairness for everyone else This
1: is a bit of a non sequitur from what you guys are talking about, but I was thinking like when Janelle first asked this question about what is cosmic justice, um, I just keep coming back to the, the concept of justice from a, the God that I was taught about as a child, Um, a very retribution, very harsh, God, um, who seemed to have decided to massacre entire groups of people, um, and and throughout different stories in specifically the Old Testament of the Bible, seemed very t- to me seemed very harsh and almost almost cruel, um, and so, so something that resonates more with me when I think about. God, this spiritual being, this higher power, is more of the sense of process theology of um, a God who experiences these unjust things alongside us, like with people, and a God who loves people and experiences those sorrows and, and that pain and that injustice with people. No, that was kind of a <laughs> turn in the conversation.
0: Well, I I think it's related, though, because if we're claiming a fairness that we don't live out individually, like acknowledging a God that might be there in it with us changes the story, like changes the way that we understand the universe, because then it's not just me choosing to be unfair for my benefit, but then I'm... I'm dragging God along with me in that. And I would hope that would make anyone question like what they're doing. I don't know if it would. But.
2: Well but why is anything unfair if if why is anything unfair? And whether God is dragged along with us or whether God is, I guess, separate.
1: I don't know how I feel about the origin of the world right now. <laughs> where where does justice originate? Is, is that your question?
3: Well, if we're talking about cosmic justice, justice originates from God, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Which I will at least qualify my previous uh, previous comments with a lot of times throughout history, the person at the top was believed or at least asserted That they were uh, divine, that they were coming from God or appointed by God, be it the Egyptian pharaohs who were viewed as a deity, all the way up to the English monarchs who were believed to be handed this power by God. In which case, yeah, there's justice coming from God, and then it's... Fortunately, filtered through a human
0: well, and I think I think we see that today with a lot of ways in which the evangelicals are treating Trump. They're treating him as the divine right of kings, and Yikes. I don't even know how you you get there mentally, um, but we've seen it all throughout history. I think that's a great point, like we've had kings and queens that have made horrible decisions unfair oppressive decisions and yet the most religious will back them and that's a huge inconsistency um that happens over and over and over so i don't know no well let's let's so let's bring it down a little bit to global um if we're talking about global issues Um, that are just and unjust or places where we feel like justice should be happening. What are some of the topics or things that come to mind for you? Um, so I think climate change is one of these issues, um, that, um, when we're talking about justice, like who's responsible, how do we change it? Who's going to get the blame in 30 years when oceans are rising? Because they're already starting to. But when it becomes disruptive to our lives and our world, where's the justice? Like we're destroying um, animal populations and insect populations. We're destroying crops. We've um, Mozambique has just gotten buried by an inland sea. Nebraska's underwater. Um, you can say these are just flukes, but that's not what the science is telling us. And so... Where is the justice in this? And if humans are destroyed because of this, is that the right answer? Did we earn it? Um, I think that that's a huge global justice issue because it, because on top of that, it affects um, that's when we see people starting to move around the world as refugees because where they live is no longer habitable when food sources run out and people live in famine. Um, Like all of these topics are related, can be rooted in what's happening to the earth that we're responsible for. Um, And so how does does justice work there? And I I just, I don't know necessarily.
3: Honestly, I have a hard time with the concept of justice surrounding that because because of my views and because of my scientific background, I see a lot of that, um, as evolution. I see a lot of that as here's a pressure, here's a selective pressure. Well, who created that pressure? Humans. No, no debate there, but we created it on ourselves. Or maybe we created it on the insects, and maybe there should be justice for the insects. I don't know. Insects outnumber us by millions. Billions. Billions more. So that's, yeah, that's hard for me to actually wrap my head around from a justice standpoint, because it kind of, we create... If you're looking at it from a human perspective, and most people will just simply because they are human, you kind of lose sight of the insects or the endangered species and, and stuff like that. There, there are groups out there and people who will point to them, but most people will look to, where's my, my human justice for the refugee?
0: Well, and where, who are the humans that are going to survive this? Right. It's not going to be the poor humans. It's not going to be the middle class humans. It's going to be the really filthy rich humans that can hoard food and hoard water and bury themselves in mountains or live in the tallest skyscraper. And they're often the people that are creating the corporations and the governments that create much of these decisions. So I think that's where justice gets really sticky for me when it comes to this, Um, because there isn't, Going to be a, let's see if I can get this right. There's not going to be a retributive answer to this.
3: This might be my, again, the evolution talking, but I would argue that's somewhat debatable. Okay. Because those people up in the skyscraper have not had to deal with the grit of the real world. Yeah. So, One could argue that the people down on the ground actually have a better chance of surviving because, as soon as that skyscraper gets a structural, takes a structural hit, and they have to move somewhere else, there's a good chance they're going to be killed en route. Yeah. Whereas the people on the ground, they're used to this; they're going to be fine. Yeah. I don't know. Someone else might have something.
2: I don't know if I agree with that. I'm more along the lines of. I mean more along the lines of Janelle. I think that um, I think that the people who have created this problem have fine-tuned certain—I don't know uh, what you would call them—psychologies or ways of like persuading other people, or um, you know, if if I'm filthy rich, I'm. Elon Musk, for example, and you're, you know, the dirt farmer, I might say, hey, give me three quarters of all the food you have in your storehouse, and I'll pay you $500 million. Well, because you're kind of the dirt farmer, you see things from a very limited perspective, and you're like, $500 million, that saves my family. Sweet. Here's all the food. Oh, wait. Now I don't have any food. I have $500 million, but I can't eat any of that. And, uh, oh, whoops.
0: Yeah. So I'm probably this argument for me is shaped a little bit by, I just read Kim Stanley Robinson's New York 2140. And, um, this is exactly the discussion that he's having in there that after the world goes through the second pulse of water that comes up onto the coasts, what does the world look like? And it's it's not necessarily a pretty picture, but it definitely highlights a lot of these justice issues for the people that are left behind. Um, I don't like his pejorative use of Denver in that book. (laughs) But other than that, it's it's worth reading.
4: One thing um, I just thought of is. um, and, And again, it's it's kind of the haves versus the have nots is is you have also wealthy people who can buy, you know, billions and billion dollars of, you know, climate credit Mm -hmm. to offset, you know, what they actually produce. You know, I think a long, 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 long time ago, and this was when I was the Republican part of me, so I just remember this, and if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. I just remember it, but I just remember hearing about how Al Gore, you know, can can waste all this, you know, money on, on electricity and, you know, his climate output, but yet spend all this money to offset it, you know, so it's... It, it doesn't actually fix the climate. Exactly.
0: Yeah.
3: So, inconsistencies in actions and words taken into account there, um, that... I would say kind of speaks actually to, to Jeff's comment about guy, guys going to come and promise you such and such if you give up all your food. Well, there are many ways to the top. There are many ways to survive. Charisma is one of them. And in our society today, we see a lot of charisma at the top because some of the other things aren't allowed. Yeah. but there's also ingenuity, intelligence, there's brute strength. Depending on the situation, some of these other items may come into play. Yeah.
0: So are there any other global issues? I mean, climate is kind of the gigantic global issue, but what what are some other global issues?
2: Well, I mean, on a really practical level, one of the global um, justice issues that we've been fighting right now is the idea of, like, trademark law and how, you know, you can create something in America and trademark it, and someone from China comes over, buys it, and they re-engineer you know re-engineer it over there um, and sell it, you know, around the world for half the price that you're selling it for. Um And, uh, you know, I mean, certainly that's all that all really deals with politics and borders. But even speaking of borders, the immigration crisis um, around the world is a, I think, is a justice issue.
0: Absolutely. The refugee crisis is, I think, the last number I saw was a million displaced people just from Syria. And so we're looking at within a couple of years, we could be at 10 million. Where do you put 10 million people that have lost their homes and don't have anything? And this is, this is a huge issue, and this is one that we face on a more national level of, we have people seeking asylum, okay? It's totally legal to seek asylum when you're running for your life. Um, that is, It is not illegal, it is not wrong, It is something we've agreed to as part of being in the UN, as part of being decent human beings. Um, And so what does it mean when the world starts having groups of displaced people? They have to start over with nothing. They lose their children or family members. I mean, these these are big issues. So where's the justice in that? Where's the justice when you have to start over at 50?
3: Kind of Justice What kind of justice do you think is appropriate for those people? Retributive? Economic, I don't know economic, social? I mean that that's. To me, a huge question is what is the end goal right. as far as that, that global problem? From a numbers standpoint, $10 million is nothing. Right. You could spread that over major cities in America alone. We could put them in Montana. very easily taken care of.
0: Yeah. We could put them in lots of different places. And lots but of
3: Nebraska not- is still dry. Oh, yeah.
1: absolutely.
2: <laughs>
3: well, and I think that
2: kind of gets to, like, maybe the the deeper level and that, that we were both think me and Rick were both thinking the same thing, you know. Um, when we say where is the justice in that, uh, I mean, I think as we sort of talked about at the beginning, justice is all the will of humans, right? Um, I mean... Are we going to allow asylum seekers to seek asylum? Are we going to find a place for people who have been displaced in Syria to live safely with their families? Um, The humans on the planet have to have a will, have to have a plan, and have to enact that plan to accomplish what we might consider justice in those areas. And Um, so when I hear where's the justice, I hear what will it take for us as a society or what will it take for us as a humanity to enact that will?
3: So would you argue then that justice is not cosmic, does not come from above?
2: I think that, yeah, I think there's a difference between Ideas of what justice is and whether that those ideas are acted out.
4: I'm going to, to, to answer his second part, I think what it's going to have to take is we all have to start thinking about others instead of ourselves, because again, it's going back to what I previously said is we have these, you know, what's in it for me? you know we're 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 currently in a society especially here in Denver of uh, a not in my own backyard kind of deal and and i think in order for any type of justice especially for a refugee perspective we have to we have to stop thinking like that you know we have to you know start thinking of these people as my brother and the least of you know, if you do this for the least of these, you also do this for me and to me. We, I, I, I think that's key.
2: Christina, you're socialist. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding about that. But that's the that's the uh, that is the response I hear from so many people on the conservative side of the aisle whenever there's any suggestion of thinking about anyone besides yourself is that that's socialist and socialism equals communism and communism equals stalin and now you've just advocated for the massacre of 500 million people that they don't believe happened (laughs)
0: like yeah there's there's such an inconsistency here
3: so my question, because I was thinking along the same lines there, where's the balance? Yeah. Where is justice found for both sides? How can you think about others while still preserving a reasonable level of uh, survivability?
1: I mean, I think just really concretely in terms of the going back a little bit to the refugee crisis, seeing that the people who are refugees and who are seeking asylum, um, they have a lot to offer and we have a lot to benefit from integrating folks into our society. I I know this sounds so cliche right now, but we're a nation of immigrants and the, the diversity that we have is a strength, not a weakness. And I, <laughs> I wish that was realized more often.
0: Yeah, the funny meme on Facebook today is, I want to see the Venn diagram of people who don't want immigrants and people who love 21 and me or whatever it is. The, 23 so find, and me. 23 yeah. and me to find yeah. out where they came from. Um, hello, we're all immigrants. For the most part. I think everyone in this room has immigrant background.
2: Yes. I I really think that I mean, just the immigration thing. I really believe that the immigration issue isn't about immigration. It's about a new form of racism in America. I don't think it's a new necessarily. It's a no I mean new form it's... as in as in now we're no longer we're no longer going to be racist against African Americans. A new iteration. And maybe of we are no longer going to be racist racism. against Muslims. Now we're going to be racist against um, South Americans. Hispanic, or Latin Americans. But I mean, you talked about where's the balance, and I think that just my this is just my opinion. Um, well, partly my opinion, partly definitions. Um I think there's so many people in America that don't understand the difference between communism and socialism um and really capitalism for that matter. Um and I think that if you have a spectrum um you have capitalism as the far left side of the spectrum, you have communism as the far right side of the spectrum. I'm not talking politically, but, um, and, and you have socialism as the, as the median, um, there. In fact, I've said many, many times, um, that I believe that America is not a capitalist country. America is just the worst run socialist country in the world. We have a variety of socialist institutions in in this country, um, and, and they work well. And yet we don't, and yet in those things, we don't prevent people from becoming millionaires or billionaires. In the same way that there are rich people in Norway, just like there are moderately poor people in Norway. But the moderately poor people in Norway have their basic necessities met whereas the poor people in America do not. All socialism advocates for is a base level of saying everyone is going to be able to survive, have food, have shelter, have air, have water. The end. Now, if you want to work harder for that in Norway... Maybe more of your taxes will be taken, but you will still be able to have more than just food, shelter, air, and water. But the guy who lost all of his limbs is not gonna starve to death on the street because those basic necessities are gonna be met. Other things are included, obviously, healthcare, education. I'm getting down off myself. Bucks, <laughs>